Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Down the years you may have seen me on the telly or heard me on the wireless, but this is different. This is the Brian Taylor podcast brought to you by The Herald. Coming up... What is Scotland going to do about its environmental record? And it's a chance to really think about that and grapple with it and, and hopefully to be really ambitious about that. And I really worry about the, the impression that gives when we're trying to show leadership to the world and say, look what we've achieved, uh, that people will be coming and actually seeing something which perhaps presents a different picture. If we think about our public transport as an essential service, something like education or health, that moves people away from a, a default car first mentality. Hello there, I'm Brian Taylor. Welcome to my latest Herald podcast. Big welcome to you all. Now today with COP26 on the horizon, we're looking at the environment and specifically an investigative series that's been running in the Herald all this week. Now today the focus was on air pollution figures in Scotland. It's part of a a wider series, as I mentioned, Build How Green is Scotland. You can find that on the the Herald website, in the Herald, of course, newspaper itself, and from the Ferret investigative team on their website. I'm joined first by Karen Goodwin from the Ferret. Welcome to you who prepared that report. Karen, just on on air pollution, the investigation is very wide-ranging. Let's stick for now to the air pollution figures, and, and you feel there's perhaps some reason to be concerned about those. Sure. So there was quite a lot in this. Um, We um, worked with Friends of the Earth Scotland to pull some average um, data from uh, three periods of time in March to September 2019, Uh 2020 and 21, which was provisional data. Um, As you would expect in that six month period this year, um, almost all of the readings had gone up from 2020. You know, that was when when we had lockdown, when we had the most severe restrictions. So perhaps Mm -hmm. no great surprises there. Um, although it did rise really quite quite dramatically in some cases. What was maybe more alarming was the fact that when you looked at that period pre-pandemic in 2019, um, there was quite significant rises, particularly in the, the particle matter 10 rate. That's the small particles mm-hmm. that can be really dangerous for human health and for planet, really. Um, and those um, had had risen um, in that six-month period in 2021 um, on their pre-pandemic levels. When you think about the fact that we were still in quite a lot of lockdowns, if people remember back in March, schools weren't all back. There was still a work at home order. So we should have, you would have thought, not have seen such such stark rises. Um, and we also saw some smaller rises in nitrogen dioxide. That's the exhaust fume type yeah. pollution. Um, in less places, about 16% of the of the provisional readings were, were up, um, but still some, some kind of quite marked increases in places like Grangemouth, et cetera. Right, but to interrogate those figures, you mentioned there nitrogen dioxide that's basically exhaust fumes. It was down in in some of the most polluted streets, and the local authorities to whom we've we've spoken said that this showed that they they were they were having an effect, they were having an impact, and that the air quality management plans they have in place were beginning to to work. Sure. Well, we have seen, and, and Gavin can talk talk to this as well. But you know, we have seen gradually some of those very polluted streets coming down over the years, and so I'm sure there is some truth in that. The reality is, though, that we've still got some quite high rates. And Hope Street, for example, um, didn't break the, the the guidelines, the legal limits um, last year. But that's the only year within the last decade that it's not broken those legal limits. Um, uh-huh. And we are seeing kind of spikes throughout the period of time that are very high. So, yes, um, there's been some improvements, but there's still these figures would suggest a lot of work to do. 
and okay, particularly as well around the, the particle matter that we mentioned. That, that was Hope Street in Glasgow you mentioned. I mean, others that were mentioned were the High Street in Perth, uh, Wellington Road in Aberdeen, Queensferry Road in Edinburgh, you know, where, where there's a lot of traffic coming in, in and out of the city. The Seagate in Dundee, I happen to know that's right next to a major bus station and Falkirk's West Bridge. But again, the local authorities and the Scottish government are saying that, 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 that this is an urgent priority for them and efforts are being made and the efforts are beginning to show show improvement. Do you, do you say maybe those figures don't quite bear that out? Well, I mean, like I said, I think there are improvements, um, but it is such a stark issue and there's a lot of concern. Um, you'll see that the today in a letter in the Herald, it's part of our investigation, um, over 60 health professionals, including GPs, consultants and academics, uh-huh. are calling for more action. They're saying, yes, the Scottish government are doing um, putting various measures in place um, and they're commending them for that. But they're saying that's not enough. Um, lives are being put at, re- at, at risk. People are, are dying prematurely. Um, mm-hmm. And there is a link between um, other environmental damage. And so they're calling on councils to do more enforcing of the, of the legal limits. Um, they're looking at uh, the need for Scottish government to invest more in in active travel, in in uh-huh. green space, um, in public transport, uh-huh. um, and the, the 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 reality is that the the problem is so severe and so intractable that the the new watchdog, the Environmental Standards Scotland, have just revealed that this is going to be the 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 subject of their first major yes. investigation. So that's really quite a major signal, I think, that this is an issue that we really need to take seriously. Um, we have uh, looked at, at things like smoking, um, you know, in, in Scotland and really been yes. kind of like at the forefront of that. Um, but air pollution in a lot of people's minds is really kind of a bit hazy. Um, mm. We don't necessarily know quite how much damage it's causing to our health um, and how it's linked to environmental damage. And I think a lot of experts are saying now is the time to really put a focus on this and to get a handle on it once okay. and for all. Uh, stay with us, Karen. We're going to talk about this a bit more. We're going to talk about COP as well. We're going to talk about the impact, what we expect from the, the COP26 conference in Glasgow, which is, is the beginning of, of November. Joined now by Gavin Thompson from Friends of the Earth Scotland. Uh, the, their Friends of the Earth, of course, got a mention from Karen. Delighted also to welcome Liam Kerr, Conservative MSP. Thanks both. Liam, what, what's your take on these air pollution figures? I mean, it's a source of concern, but is, uh, are there perhaps signs that it's that it's being tackled? What's your take on this? My take on it, yeah, Brian. please. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hugely concerning. Of course, it is. I, and as someone that lives not far from the Wellington Road in Aberdeen, ah. I, I take this very seriously indeed. I think, I, I mean, what Karen's very good investigation shows us is that action needs to be taken. And I'm afraid I, that I'm not convinced that we're seeing that at a government level. So. I mean, some of the reasons for this pollution, we talked about the cars, or Karen talked about uh, the nitrogen dioxide. Now, of course, uh, if, if we say uh, that people will still need to drive into the centres of Aberdeen, which some people will, certainly from the rural areas around Aberdeen and perhaps uh, people who are less able to, to uh, facilitate the active travel, uh, then you've got to get them into, let's say, electric cars. But to do that, you need vehicle charging points. And of course, as we know, uh, the uh, Climate Change Committee, I think it was, says we need 30,000 of these by 2030. We have Mm -hmm. two and a half thousand in Scotland. So Mm -hmm. that has to ramp up. 
And we only saw this week, okay, the alternative, let's put people onto buses. But we exposed this week that there's a 650 or 640 million pound black hole in the Scottish government's policy on buses. Because I think we need to, uh, the, uh, there are 4,000, I think, diesel buses going around Scotland. And we need to convert 343 of them. Uh, it, or there is only funding to convert 343 at the time, I think. Now, Aberdeen's doing some great stuff on this because we've got our hydrogen buses and we're developing a hydrogen hub uh, up here. But, again, as Karen rightly says, the local councils uh, have a big part to play here and it's very difficult for them to do so with the current funding settlement. I mean, I don't need to tell any of your viewers about the very poor funding settlement that Aberdeen and Aberdeenshire councils have had uh, for years. Uh, they... They, they have to play the big role in this, but they can only do that within the funding framework that the Scottish Government's given them. And frankly, it's inadequate. G Gavin Thompson, what, what, what's your take on these figures? Uh, you, you, we, there's always going to be some pollution, isn't there? Or, or is that a, an inevitable byproduct of, of the fact that we're trying to do business with each other and therefore transport goods and, 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 and people around? Or, or, or do, we, do we need to try and you know, take more radical measures to try and alter these, these, uh, these stats? Hi, uh, I'm not sure that there has always got to be some pollution, but certainly on the scale that, that Karen is talking about, there definitely doesn't need to be that level, uh, illegal levels of pollution. That's what the provisional data is indicating. So it still needs to be checked. So we can't be completely sure. What we can be sure of, though, is that COVID has changed the way that we move around in lots of different ways. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen some bus routes change uh, a lot more. Um, people are working from home. So, so there's, there's a lot of journeys that have been taken off the road. So the fact that we're seeing higher levels of air pollution in some areas, that's really concerning because we know that there's some journeys not being made. There's some fossil fuel cars staying at home. So then what, what's going on there? I think one of the things that's likely to be happening is some people are traveling more for leisure. Like we've seen a lot more day trips, weekends away, things like that. But also... Mm -hmm. HGVs and larger vans traveling, particularly in city centers, making deliveries. I think that's probably one of the dynamics happening as well. So this is all comes as a result of councils and government not taking it seriously a long time ago. So as Karen said, we've been breaking the law on air pollution for 10 years, more than 10 years. Yeah, but what, but, I mean, you, you, you say there, you know, I mean, during lockdown, the, the figures came down starkly, but we, we cannot be sustained in lockdown. We, we have to we have to have business. People have got to get to to work. They've got to get to the shops. That means transporting the goods to, to the shops uh, in in the first place in order or in order for them to, to purchase. You know, what, what, what are you saying? What, what, what level of containment are you talking about uh, that, that would that would um, bring the figures down to a level you're as acceptable. Um, so air pollution comes from traffic primarily. In Scotland, there are some other sources, but the air pollution that we're really concerned about built up areas, that's coming from traffic, fossil fuel traffic yeah. in particular. But I would say, just going back to Liam's point, you do get air pollution from electric vehicles as well. The tyre wear and brake wear produces those particles that Karen talked about. So moving mm -hmm. as many journeys as possible off of fossil fuel traffic. So short journeys in urban areas, for example, need to be really easy to walk or cycle or use public transport. 
but you but can't, but you, can't deliver, you can't you can't deliver heavy goods and substantial goods to shops by bike right exactly and so for those journeys that we we can't conceive of an alternative to uh, a motor traffic so not just uh, deliveries but obviously some people who live with disabilities emergency services those are journeys that you, you can't necessarily change to for example public transport uh-huh. those are the vehicles and journeys we need to be concentrating to move to electric vehicles as soon as possible and like Liam said, we are way behind in some of those areas. Uh, small businesses in particular don't have the margins to, trans- to change their vehicle and transfer over. Uh-huh. So we are we are really far behind. And I would just say other cities in Europe that have moved quicker to get cars out of city centres, uh, divert traffic, pedestrianise areas, they have also mm-hmm. moved quicker in recognising the communities that will need support in moving to electric vehicles like small businesses like people are yeah. on lower incomes but if you if you may just just again to be to be an interrogatory if you if you push down on the number of vehicles in in uh, large city centers will that not know, co- cause problems for shops which are already facing tremendous difficulties with with the economies they're not going to add to the, to, to, to their to their problems and you know I understand the, the desire for pedestrianization and they understand the desire for or removing vehicles, but the, the, what about the economic impact upon those businesses that are seeking to, to make a living in the place? Yeah, exactly. A, a few points I'd make to that. So one is that I think it's a common trend that all of us overestimate how many people arrive at shops uh, traveling in cars. That's that's a kind of fallacy. Many of us think it's 100% of, say, customers, and it's a lot uh-huh. more. Um, I mean, shopkeepers are often surprised how many people have have uh, traveled by other means, walked or cycled to shops. But also yeah. just in general, the, the economic impact of air pollution on this scale when it causes heart attacks and asthma, over a billion pound probably cost the NHS in Scotland. And that's that's not even counting things like lost uh, sick days. There's a, a, there's a, a, billion, huge... a billion, one one billion pound from air pollution? Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, certainly the health... The health, the health professionals who have written today in the Herald are, are estimating that. They're saying uh-huh. that if, if that the, the costs for the NHS are over a billion. Um, a and so I would need to double check their, yeah, their figures it's, on it's that. A billion, it's a billion a year because of the number of conditions it can both cause and exacerbate with our heart and our lungs. And those are many of the long-term conditions that put people uh-huh. at increased risk of COVID-19, for example. So there's a huge economic cost that's that's gone unseen here that that's not being accounted for. Mm, okay, Liam Kerr, what 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 do you feel needs to be to be done? I mean, you're saying there about the electrification of of vehicles. Are you concerned at all about the possibility that that you know pressure will be put upon existing city centres and existing businesses if there is a further clampdown upon vehicle traffic? I think this is a really good point that you make, Brian. Uh, because we have to be very careful in what we do. I mean, I, I proposed some solutions earlier, yeah, you did. Yeah. which recognise, I think, that, you know, I think people, we would all agree, we want a city centre. I think fundamentally, if we impose too many restrictions on, let's say, driving into the, the centre of town, then is there not a danger that we make uh, shopping in the out-of-town retail parks yeah. uh, that much more attractive and you end up uh, hollowing out city and town centres which are already struggling uh, on the back of the COVID pandemic particularly and things we, we've got very, very high business rates up here. 
yeah. uh, in Aberdeen that, in my view, as you know, should, it should have been reviewed long ago. Um, but we're already struggling in the city centres and the town centres. And if we start putting in place things that, that push people out, either... Uh, people who can't cycle in, people who can't avail themselves of active travel, who say, look, actually, it's just as easy to sit at my home table uh, and order stuff off online. Which will then uh, be delivered by a vehicle. Right, right, yeah. good point. Um, but secondly, they might then say, well, you know what, I'll just go out to the to the bypass where there's yeah. a nice retail park, makes it easy, and suddenly you've got all these businesses, all the um, smaller retail establishments that Gavin Thompson rightly uh, flags up uh, as being so important, uh, just have no footfall. Uh, and we end up with hollowed out town centres, which I cannot imagine any of us. How about that, Karen? How about that, Gavin? Karen first, is there a balance to be struck or, or are we just, you know, not, not focusing on the wrong end of the, the equation? Of course, I think that those are all really interesting points. And I think it's, it's, it's really important that we kind of really capture hearts and minds about the need for change here and really mm-hmm. understand why it's about all of us. It's about, it's about you know, your family and, and, and your relatives who are suffering from air pollution, as well as it's about people in more deprived areas who are suffering disproportionately from air pollution for a variety of reasons. And I think, therefore, as we work out what might be best in order to do this, we need to be open to the possibilities of system change as we face an environmental global crisis. What do you mean by system change? Well, system change might look a lot like, for example, the policy that Scottish Government are very keen on around the 20-minute neighbourhoods, where you would be able to get to a wider range of facilities um, and shops and, and really kind of start to focus on your local area a lot more. Now, that is not going to change every journey, but it is going to change those short journeys. It's going to make a little bit of difference. It's also going to have a lot of well-being benefits. So we start talking about the well-being economy and we start thinking about the fact that a neighbourhood centre that brings people together that we start sharing our resources, that we start shopping locally. And that maybe is about, um, you know, getting to know a little bit more about our food systems. And then it has knock-on benefits to the environment. So I think there's a there's a bigger picture here. And that, yes, we do need to be careful about businesses and we do need to balance that against um, making our economy work for all of us. But there are costs and benefits in lots of different okay. places. And so it's very difficult to separate those out. Bringing Gavin in a second, but just again interrogating one element you mentioned there, the well-being economy. I recall that was a speech Nicola Sturgeon made some some 18 months ago. So you know, speculating we might try and move down the road of measuring uh, measuring a quantitative form of, of well-being rather than necessarily G- GDP. But I, I, I'm not seeing the stats that that say what exactly you would measure. I hear Nicola Sturgeon mentioning that in her lecture. I hear Green ministers talking about it. I, I see it mentioned, but I don't see a, a, a you know a scientific statistical way of measuring that in the same way as you measure um, a gross domestic product. I think it's a problem. Is that to me? Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, to you be understand. honest, I mean, uh, I mean, I think that the ideas around it are really interesting, and I think that that um, mm-hmm. it, there's still a lot more work to do. And, and I take your point that that you know we're not really grappling with exactly what that means and how uh, we then, measure uh, it. Yeah, they're um, nebulous at the present moment. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, GDP is 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 an outdated measurement for our current. Mm-hmm reality because the reality is that we need to protect our our, our current lives um, which you know are really in threat with with the climate crisis so 
I think just grappling with new ideas is a good start. And yes, now we need to get serious about how we really take those forward in a way that's meaningful and can be measured because measuring is, is making things real, right? I took us down a byway there, forgive me. But Gavin, the the, the original question was about, is there a balance to be struck? And is there a danger, as Liam was saying, that we have hollowed out town and city centres and and all we end up doing is is travelling by car or by van to, to, um, you know, estates on the edges of cities and towns? Sure. I think there's a connection between um, the deregulation of our bus network and the massive increase in not just car ownership, but car use and car dependency mm-hmm. and a default kind of car mentality for the individuals, but also for councils. That's what, that's why we have all of these out of town retail centers and, and things like that. And that has really harmed high streets as well as leading to more car journeys, more emissions, more pollution. I think if mm-hmm. we, going back to this system change idea, if we, Think about our public transport as an essential service, something like education or health, which is mm. run publicly and free at the point of use and is comprehensive. That moves people away from a, a default car first mentality. And also it recognises that transport, public transport is important, not just for uh, reduction in greenhouse gas emissions and improving air quality, but also for social factors, for in- increasing access for people particularly on lower incomes to education and employment, things like that. I think we've devalued our public transport and marginalised it for far too long and our car use and car dependency is one consequence of that. Okay. Uh, Liam, where, where do you see this heading in, in terms of the, the, the air pollution figures? Do you, do you think, you know, this sort of useful disclosure here today by the, by, by the Ferret and the Herald will, will, and the fact that there's to be an investigation by Environment Standards Scotland, is that likely to drive a greater focus upon this as a, as a political issue, would you believe, Liam? Uh, well, I think the first thing to say is that the conclusions, the investigation that's been done is very is a very good thing. Because one of the things that certainly I've found since uh, being in in Parliament is that there is a lack of data at government level on what's really happening. Uh, And so exposés, if you like, like this investigation, I think will be very, very useful for uh, policymakers to say and and for uh, groups like Friends of the Earth Scotland to be able to say, look, this is what's really happening. Something has to change. Uh, Now, when it comes to what that is uh, i don't think it can this drive change yes but i don't think that that is what is happening at scottish government level at the moment we we see endless pronouncements uh, and it kind of feel good announcements that make us all you know and everyone's kind of virtue signaling around okay we're going to do this we're going to do that uh, but the actual delivery as I said at the start about the electric vehicle chargers, for example, yeah, okay. or the conversion of the buses, that is not happening. And one of the things I think we have to be very careful of, just to, to go back to the, the earlier conversation, is that I think there's a tendency to demonize car owners and car users. Uh-huh. And, and I think we need to be very careful about that because uh, if nothing else, uh, I would say... I'm very fortunate in the northeast that I live near some really excellent smaller towns, Stonehaven, Forfar, Brechin, Inverurie, Fraserburgh, Peterhead. 
You don't want to mention every town in your region, are you? I mean, we're, we're, I mean, the fine. I, I, I yield to no one in, in my delight for for, for Steenhive and Farfar, but you're, you're not going to go whole through through the entire list, are you? No, 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 no. That my, my point being, and I should have mentioned region. Well, is you you cannot say, okay, we'll put everyone that wants to go to the centre of Farfar uh, uh, on a bus because it's just not practical, and we've seen these exact problems with uh, the bank closures. That, that we've seen, I think, all over Scotland. You know, when you lose uh, a bank branch uh, in somewhere like Kirimuir, which will be very familiar to you, uh, and then they say, oh, well, everyone can just get the bus into Forfar. And it's just not practical. Um, you know, so we, we must be very careful not to demonise people who are using their car, whether because they have to, uh, whether because it's desirable, perhaps they're still very nervous about using public transport following the pandemic, uh, and make sure that we don't do knee-jerk policy making that feels good, but actually on a practical application isn't going to deliver. Thanks for that, Liam. I actually spent a couple of summer holidays in Kerimio, so I do indeed know the place well. Never, never quite succumbed to the likes of Farfar yet, but 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 no doubt that that'll come. Look, guys, I'm I'm ha- great, grateful for that. Let, let's broaden it a bit. Let's broaden it quite a lot. In fact, got the UN Climate Change Conference COP26 coming to Glasgow. A gigantic event, a gigantic opportunity, but also a gigantic challenge to to world leaders. Uh, I think we we have comments along the lines of this being almost the last uh, uh, endeavor, the last opportunity. For the world to get it right. And yet we have concerns. President Xi from China is not going to be there. President Putin from Russia isn't attending. If these big leaders of these big, big nations are not attending, does that say that they're they're pulling back? What what sort of thing is going on? Let's talk about what, what your 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 hopes and fears are for the COP26. Karen Goodwin, hopes, hopes and fears, looking forward to it. Uh, optimistic, pessimistic, what do you what do you reckon? Well, this is a really big one, isn't it? I mean, uh, this has been postponed, um, which said to be the last chance to really ratify the Paris Agreement. Um, And so that is a a really big deal. Although most businesses are already working towards the the Paris uh, Agreement, um, it's it's the time that we really need to ratify that and get that framework really kind of into uh, into law and, and so that we can can move forward um uh, it's a kind of matter of diplomacy and 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 you know there's there's a lot of pressure on this to work and yet as you say there's already problems there's there's really important people pulling out um you know climate activists from Greta Thunberg to you know Greenpeace International have have raised all sorts of concerns and whether Mm -hmm. that's about thinking that it's going to be full of empty rhetoric whether that's about it being a really unequal COP because a lot of, of people from the global south haven't been able to travel here yeah. because of the lack of vaccine passports, because of our immigration system um, and so instead are sending people from the north who are less affected by climate change. Um, you know, how is this going to go? There's a lot of nervousness, I think, about about it being the well, need for your, it to be your, a successful COP. What's your what's take on the balance? I'm hearing the the optimism, I'm hearing the concerns. What's your take on the balance of where it, where it, where it goes? I mean, I was speaking to one diplomat who said, at a very minimum, they must entrench Paris and try and go yeah. beyond that. But there was concern, there's actual concern that they, they could, well, of course there was, because, you know, the US withdrew from the Paris Agreement at, at, at one point prior to um, the, the, the current administration reversing that. But, they, you know, they, they, so as a minimum, you have that. Yes. The, 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 the climate campaigners will want to go much, 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 much yes. further. Yes, but, I mean, what, yes. what, what's your take on this balance question that I'm that I'm asking? Yeah, I mean, I I don't I'm not really Hardcore. sure what 
<laughs> How to call it, but I know that, you know, yes, as a minimum, we need to see the Paris Agreement ratified um, and that that is not, when you look at the BBC story today about the, the late yeah, documents that, that were given yeah. to Greenpeace unearthed and the fact that you see all of the countries that have got something to gain, whether it's Australia arguing for coal, whether it's Brazil arguing for meat, whether it's, um, you know, uh, Saudi uh, arguing for oil, you see mm -hmm. them pushing back on that. And so it does um, raise fears. And of course, uh, the real need is to go much further than Paris does. And that's the reality. Yeah. Um, I think what's what's exciting, personally, is, is that, uh, you know, there will be people from all over the world, um, a real global coming together of really kind of focusing minds on, on the need for action. And, okay. and so that creates a sense of optimism, I think, in me. Okay, I'll bring in the others in a second. Just that, that, that report you mentioned was a leak to the BBC from Greenpeace, suggesting one or two countries, as you say, a pushback. But I should say also that the uh, the, the note from the BBC the team was that the the, vast, the, the, the cache of comments in the latest yeah. draft of the report were, were released. And they, they point out that the, the comments that they were overwhelmingly designed to be constructive. So there was one or two pushing back, others trying to, to be yeah. constructive. Ga Gavin, you, 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 look at, you look ahead, to you anticipate COP26, do you anticipate with, with eagerness or, or with apprehension? Yeah, I think a, a mixture. I think um, I would pick up on the point that, that Karen made. It's really important for COP and all discussions about climate change that people on the front lines of the climate crisis are heard from. So people whose communities are literally disappearing under rising sea levels, people facing uh, extreme weather conditions. And a lot of those people have been excluded due to vaccine inequality and the COVID situation in, in the UK. I think one aspect of it which is exciting and I'm optimistic about is emboldening the climate movement here in Scotland and helping people uh, come together and organise for the changes we want to see in Scotland. Um, for, for example, in the areas that I work on transport, maybe a lot of people don't realise that that's our biggest source of greenhouse gas emissions. There is no action on climate in Scotland that isn't action on transport. That's where we really need to focus. Yeah. And I think COP provides us an opportunity to highlight that, put that front and centre. Okay. Uh, Liam, what's your take? Where, where, where do you see this? Are you, again, same question, optimistic, apprehensive. Uh, Bit of both for different reasons. I mean, I, I think on the uh, on the, on the positive side, on the hopes, I think I, I get the sense that we all accept that there is a climate emergency. That the the, the time for talking has long That's passed. The, the time That's for interesting. climate crisis is accepted. You, you think? Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, I, I get that sense, um, but I, I I think Karen made a very important point there, bringing in the IPCC. Uh, leak yeah, that we yeah. heard about today because I think what COP allows us to do is to uh, show that the, the world is taking this seriously and I think it is a little bit inconsistent perhaps with that if people are already saying okay look we're taking this very seriously except we need to start but, yeah, reopening yeah. some other things so yeah. Uh, but I do hope, I think this is a really big opportunity for the UK to, to, to showcase what the UK has done, because I think we genuinely have showed some real leadership on this. Uh, and I think we can showcase our, the UK's climate ambitions uh, and the things that have been done and hopefully show that leadership. Uh, the fears um, 
and, and, and I'm going to bring this down yeah. uh, to, to a level, if, if I may, because one of the things that I think is not going to be helpful is that however you want to stitch it up, and I'll try and leave my politics at the door slightly, but mind, there is a real risk that what's happening locally, you know, this is a showpiece event. This is, this is a chance for Glasgow to, to set the Glasgow agreement, if you like. And yeah. yet... Delegates are coming. Those, those that can come uh, are going to come and see potentially a place where uh, we're facing various strikes, and people are going to to struggle to to get around and to see clean streets. And um, we, we're apparently seeing major accommodation shortages. Yes, and I really worry about the the impression that gives when we're trying to show leadership to the world and say, "Look what we've achieved." Uh, that people will be coming and actually seeing something which perhaps presents a a different picture. Uh, And what I really hope, spinning the negative into a positive, is that uh, the current government can really get a handle on this uh, over the short time remaining and make sure it's sorted out in order that this can really be a showpiece event that, like Karen rightly says, we get some real achievement coming out of. We'll discuss that. I mean, this is a taster. We'll discuss all all of that next week. We're going to do a preview of the the COP conference. We'll have all, you know, parties involved, et cetera, and I'm sure we'll get a Scottish government perspective then. You you must be a a soothsayer. You must be looking ahead, uh, Liam. We've got a question from Barry in Glasgow. I'm going to put this to Karen uh, as well. Really good question. Is Glasgow ready? to host COP26, or Barry asks, should we have spent more time sorting our city like bins and transport? There's talk of industrial action, of course. Sorting a city like bins and transport before we go on the world stage. Karen, are we ready for COP26? <laughs> or is, is, is the world ready for Glasgow? Is, is, is it maybe another way? I, mean, I think it's brilliant that, that, um, that the, the, the strikes are happening to a certain extent and on the world stage because it's going to show um, that we do need to sort those things out. Um, and I don't think that we should be being dishonest about the things that, that we need to sort out. So, um, yes, we need to sort those out. The, the strikes are not happening out of nowhere. As we all know, in Scotland, um, there's been a very long running um, lack of kind of uh, engagement um, to get to this stage. And and, and mm-hmm. likewise, the refuge uh, sort of disputes have been going on for a very long time. So no one can be surprised that workers have chosen this opportunity to have this world stage to make mm-hmm. a very strong point. Um, I don't think that, that, that those two things are, are, are kind of counter to each other, though. Um, obviously, you know, it was a UK government decision um, although there was there was various back and forth between the Scottish government, um, yeah. but you'll remember the whole kind of debacle about who was booking which venues at the time. So there was uh, there was kind of constitutional. I'm, I'm, sure, Karen, I'm sure I'm sure Karen, the Scottish government and and Scotland generally will take a chance to to yes. uh, you know have have a, have a say and have relevance in in the the discourse as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a great opportunity to, to really focus minds is, is what I think. And so and that's part of the reason for our How Green in Scotland investigation is yeah. really to focus minds on Scotland, on on what is our role in this? What, where do we fit yeah. in? What is Scotland going to do about its environmental record? Um, and it's a chance to really think about that and grapple with it and, and hopefully to be really ambitious about that. There's lots of, as you say, ambitious plans. Um, what other action can we see? So, so I, th- I think um, you know, um, we should you're sort out our bins. Yeah, we should sort out our public transport, and we should also yeah. Um, yeah. get ahead and 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 showcase. Le- Le- uh, Liam, 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 you were you were you were raising a tentative finger there. Please carry on. Yeah, I, I, I just come back on that because I actually think Karen makes a, a very important point about that. You know, we, we we're here. 
uh, what, two weeks before, uh, and we're facing a situation. And one of the things that concerned me the most, I mean, I made the point, I think the Scottish government has to get involved here. And one of the things I found most concerning uh, was towards the end of last week when you had the transport minister pressed on, I think it was the the BBC GMS programme, why are the train strikes going ahead? Uh, And I think he said, I have no idea. Um, now, that has got to be hugely concerning. I mean, we said in a debate in about August, look, the Scottish government has locus to intervene on this and sort it out, and it has to take ownership and bring this to some kind of resolution, however that should be through... But, but how, how, how would you, you know, take ownership and sort it out, it's all very well. What, what are, you, are you saying? Just give them the money, pay, pay them, sort the deal that, that, that they want, get, get, you know, concede entirely? Well, no, that's not what I'm saying. What I, what I was saying at the time is because the, the transport minister uh, kept saying, look, this is not a matter for the Scottish government. This is between, in this... Well, in that's this strictly case, true. They're not the employers. And it absolutely is a matter for the Scottish government, which I forensically showed in that yeah. debate. Um, it is not good enough. Uh, I'm not putting words in Karen's mouth, but it is not good enough for the Scottish government to simply abdicate responsibility and say, well, you know, you sort it out. I don't, don't suppose it'll bother the world leaders. They'll be coming by big cars and helicopters anyway, so they won't be maybe requiring the, the trains, but others will, of course. Gavin, what, getting back, I again got down the, 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 that issue, but that, that was fine. It's a very good question from Barry about about the impact. What, what, what can Glasgow do? What can Scotland do, do you think, to encourage the world leaders, if they wish to do so, to, to reach a, 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 an agreement? Because, you know, we, we know how these things work. The, the, the conclusions are drafted in advance they are worked on in advance by the governments. We then have a meeting of, of, of the heads of government for, for, for a couple of days and then a fortnight of, of detailed negotiations to try and sort out these these resolutions. And that the worry from that leak is that there are some are pushing back in advance. Well, you understand why they're pushing back in advance, because they know that these things are generally sorted before the actual meeting begins. Yeah, Gavin. yeah, yeah, completely. I think, um, so what can Glasgow do? I think one thing I'd say is, There'll be a lot of events happening um, away from away from COP, away from the SECC. Uh, so, for example, the People's Summit event, which runs uh, November the seventh to November the tenth, that's a whole series mm-hmm. of events across the city, open to anyone, and people, um, anyone's welcome to go. And a lot of those events will be platforming experiences of people uh, from the global south, people at the front line of the climate crisis, and some of the issues we we touched on, okay. some of the industrial relations that are important to climate justice as well and I think people in Glasgow can get involved that way and try and platform the voices that they think are important. You're, you're right to point out there's a, there's a, a, a two-tier thing happening and, and a lot of the discussions are happening yeah. behind closed doors and away from people but we, but we can make change starting in Glasgow and in Scotland and also raise the voices that we think we, that need to be heard on a global stage do, as well. do you expect a substantial degree I'm, I'm sure there will be of, of demonstrations and protest aye aye um, and, and, and in a big way great, I think in, great, I think great I think we'll see lots of different protests, uh, creative and innovative, and hopefully bringing attention to the voices that need to be heard. One thing, sorry, if I can just go back to something, as as you mentioned about um, Joe Biden and whoever might not see some of the industrial action, things like that. A lot of people don't realise COP26 delegates get a free public transport. They get a pass as 
I don't think it's like an Oyster card. I think they just show some kind of okay. a membership, okay. like a passport. But uh-huh. then at the same time, you're right that people in Glasgow um, might be struggling to get places because of traffic jams, because of mm. uh, industrial action, whatever it is. So there's, yeah. there's a two-tier transport thing happening at this, in Glasgow at the same time. As- are you, to put it on mildly, I mean, are you worried, Gavin, if the protests, I understand protest, I understand demonstration, I get the concept, but you're mentioning there that people in Glasgow might find it disruptive. If they find it too disruptive, are they likely perhaps to, you know, turn against those who are who are seeking their support for what they might otherwise regard as as um, uh, issues that they might be sympathetic towards? It, can, it, can it go too far? Yeah, sorry, let me just clarify. I meant people in Glasgow would face disruption due to the COP itself, so the number of delegates in the city. Not not the demos, but the demos might cause disruption as well if they close roads. I think, um, so the 6th of November, Saturday, the 6th of November is the huge mobilisation on March from Kelvin Grove Park. and encourage everyone to go along to that. I expect it to be pretty enormous and have quite a lot of support locally and globally. Karen, you looked keen to come in on, on, on this one. No, I was also going to mention the march on the on the sixth of November. Oh, you're all plugging your events. You're all you're all, you're all plugging events. That is not not, not my event. events, but just when you were talking about the protest, ah. you know that's going to be the the major day, I suppose, and that's that's going to be, I think, quite quite an event actually for Glasgow to to yeah. witness. Um, there's going to be a lot of young people, the youth strike, um, climate uh, uh, kind of uh, protesters, for example which was a really, you know, a huge march. I don't know if you were there uh, maybe kind of two years uh, previously with uh, young people from right Mm. across the city and beyond, um, really quite um, kind of colossal size. So even, you know, just just if you see some of them um, and then we're going to have all the kind of incoming activists, there's going to be a Glasgow community block. So there is going to be a lot of Glaswegians involved in that and Scots involved in that, as well as 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 outsiders from COP. So I think on that day, yes, there will be big protests and there'll be other things going on in between. But um, I think that... uh, it will be quite an extraordinary time to be in Glasgow and to be a Glaswegian, I think. Okay, okay. Well, it, 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 it always is an extraordinary time to be, to be <laughs> a, sp- speaking as a, well, an adopted Glaswegian, but still a very proud Dundonian. It's, it's, it's always a wonderful thing to do. I'm going to, I'm going to mention one, one final thing. Uh, uh, hit poor cold water, but Professor Devi Sridhar of Edinburgh University saying, Concerned, she says she hopes she's wrong, and you know, but she's an expert on the subject. She's worried about the the, the pressure upon COVID from what she describes as a mass event with major movement of people in and out. Liam, is that something that that, that worries you about about an impact upon COVID? And um, well, if the medical experts are saying that, I, it could, then I can only take that at face value, really. Um, it, it's it's in some senses it stands to reason, but of course there is. Uh, there are different interpretations uh, as to what COVID spreader events are, um, but I would not be qualified to uh, comment on that, I don't think. Okay, well, I should, I should have mentioned, I've been reminded that there's also a, an all-under-one-banner independence march in, in Glasgow in November. So while we're plugging events, we'll, we'll mention mention that one as well. Karen, what's your take on the comments from Professor Sridhar about the, the impact upon upon COVID? So, something to watch out for at the very, very least to try and maintain yeah. some degree of distancing, but it's going to be very, very tough to do that it is going to be tough and it and it's concerning and it's it's scary isn't it to see those type of 
of kind of reality checks. Um, you know, there have been previous calls for this COP to be cancelled from yeah. from even some environmental groups way back when. Um, and that was partly driven by these kind of concerns and partly driven by the inequality that we mentioned previously about about the difficulty of people in actually getting here and being safe. Um, that's, that, that's, know, re- that's a really interesting point, that, isn't it? You know, if you're not hearing from the widest range, if you're not hearing from those who are most affected, then, you know, uh, uh, presumably they can get their views n- through in other ways. But, you know, unless you're at the table, maybe you're not having the able to have the impact that, that you could yeah. have. I mean, you've got also the pushback, I suppose, from some of the the, yeah. the kind of the countries who are, are most affected, who really want this to go ahead. And so again, you get this balancing point, don't you, of of, of the need for for immediate safety from COVID and the need for us to to address one of the most pressing issues of our time. How do you get that right? I'm really not sure. It's a tough call. Gavin, is it right to go ahead? I mean, there was talk, it, it, this, this conference has previously been postponed. Is it, is it right to go ahead? Is it, is it necessary, in your view, to go ahead, given the, 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 the substance of the issue at stake? Yeah, I think it's necessary to go ahead. It's just uh, completely unjust that the people most important to these discussions haven't been able yeah. to come because of yeah. vaccine inequality and, and sometimes the expense as well. That's yeah. really unfair, but I think it's essential that it goes ahead. But you mean you, we we look at the figures generally, and COVID are going they're going the wrong way. Again, it's 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 going the wrong way. But you you say despite that, it's right to go ahead with this 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 conference. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I can't I mean, lightly. I'm I'm, I'm I'm gonna t- I'm gonna take advice from some experts like the professor. I I can't comment on the. The COVID numbers, but I think in terms of addressing climate change, just looking at it through that lens, I, this needs to happen. We need to have okay. This needs needs to happen and needs to get changed. Okay. Well, we've got to go. It's it's the the beginning of November that we have the the COP conference in Glasgow. We'll have another preview on the podcast next week. We'll be going round the houses with with the, the the parties then to get the various perspectives and reflect them. They're a really excellent taster today with with my guests reflecting that uh, quite remarkable series of investigations by the Ferret for the for the Herald Outlet. As a stress, you can get the, the, the material there on the, the Herald Outlets or on the, the Ferret's own website. Subscription details were coming up as well. I would encourage uh, all of that. Meanwhile, um, I'll thank my guests. I'll thank you for, for participating and, and, and listening. Thank Gavin Thompson, thank Liam Kerr, and thank Karen Goodwin. Thanks all to three. And from me, Brian Taylor, to the new. This podcast was brought to you by The Herald. Take 20% off an annual subscription to The Herald with our exclusive podcast code. Just add Herald Pod 2021 to your basket and get instant unfiltered access to our website. And you can also get involved with the Brian Taylor podcast as well. Tune in on Facebook, Twitter and YouTube every Thursday afternoon to catch Brian and his panel chat live and ask your questions to the people across the political scene. 